Good afternoon, Emmanuel. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that this afternoon that you would give us your spirit. You would send your spirit, Lord God, in our hearts, working in our hearts, using your word, Lord God, to change us, Lord, to understand your word, that we might know your justice, grace, and mercy that we receive in Jesus. Help us, Lord God, to understand these things so that we can uh, live our lives to the glory of your name. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If today the Lord Jesus would give a task to a Christian inside this room to be observed by a non-Christian, wherever that Christian may go or whatever that Christian may do, at home with the family members or at the workplace, to the time with his friends, inside the church, outside the church, or at the time when that Christian is alone by himself or herself, to be followed around for a whole day by that non-Christian for observation, what do you think that non-Christian would say about Christianity? Or would you even volunteer yourself for that task? I wonder what kind of a Christianity can be said if we are that person. Well, actually, the Lord Jesus did give that task to all Christians. The Lord Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another so that the world will know that he, that they are his disciples. So Christians, I suppose we are to exhibit that love to each other. We are to love one another. The difference is we will not be observed just for a day, but we will be observed by the world all the days of our lives until the return of Jesus Christ. So my question is, what picture of Christianity are you reflecting to others today? If you want to know what characters distinguish the disciples of Christ from others, turn your Bibles with me to Luke 6, 27 to 42. Today's sermon is a continuation of Pastor Jesse's sermon last Friday. And his point last week was that disciples are chosen by God's grace and they are characterized by the way they live. They are set apart to, for God to bring glory to his name so that others might come to him. And disciples of Christ are those who depend on their Lord and find their satisfaction in him and not in the world. While the previous sermon talks about the marks of the disciples, the text today focuses on the life of the disciples, especially in difficult situations, when they are hated, when bad things are done to them, when they are mistreated, when they are cursed. How are they to respond to others in these kind of situations? When the disciples are tempted to condemn or judge others, 
and when it is hard to forgive others, what are the disciples to do? What should be the attitudes of Christians towards their cold-hearted neighbors? In other words, how are they to exhibit their lives as true disciples of Jesus Christ in the hours of persecution? As we shall see, Jesus commanded his disciples to love their enemies, to forgive others, and to lead others to the gospel of Christ that saved them. But all these tasks are impossible to do if their love for Jesus Christ will not be the main motivation of doing things. But as we have seen in the history of the church, the early Christians were faithful disciples of Christ Jesus. They suffered. They endured hardship. But they remained faithful. Stephen died while praying for his enemies. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In Hebrews 10, it records those disciples who struggled hard with sufferings, afflicted publicly, sent to prisons, properties are confiscated, all because they bear the name of Christ Jesus. Why and how these disciples remained faithful in the midst of persecutions and difficulties? Luke 6 will help us to see these answers to these questions. And I want us to take, a, take home the main aim of Luke in this sermon today. And it is disciple acts with the motivation coming from the gospel. Disciple acts with the motivation coming from the gospel. And for us to help that main aim, I divided this sermon into three main points. Number one, disciples love because they were loved by God. Number two, disciples are merciful because they've been shown mercy. Number three, disciples lead others to the gospel that saves. Let's go to the first main point. Disciples love because they were loved by God. Read with me from Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 35. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And for someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. 
Disciples loved their enemies because they were loved by God. When we read this passage, we can notice that it started with the word but. This means that our text is pointing back to what was previously said. And if you remember last week's sermon, it was said that the disciples are blessed. Why? Because if they are poor in spirit, they would know that they, would, they need God. If they are hungry, they will be filled by God. If they are weeping, they will be rejoicing in God. If they are hated because of the Son of Man, their reward is great in heaven. They are blessed because they found their true satisfaction in Jesus, the true satisfying bread of life. They learned that Jesus is their great reward. But to those who are self-reliant and find their satisfaction in the world rather than in Christ, they are to be pitied because great sorrow awaits them. And so after that, it is not surprising for Jesus to lead them into the practical applications of this principle. And these are the following immediate applications that Jesus pointed them to. Number one, love your enemies. When you are persecuted because of your faith in Christ, you are not to hate but to love them. And secondly, do good to those who hate you. When you are hated because of your obedience to Christ, you are to show them kindness. Bless those who curse you. When you are insulted, reviled, slandered, cursed, you are to bless them and not curse them back. You are to pray for those who mistreat you. If you are mistreated, you are in to intercede in their behalf. And we can see Stephen doing this as he was dying. He prayed for his persecutors. They are to do all these things as disciples of Christ Jesus. But these commands are hard to do. How can anyone love those who are unloving? How can they return kindness for hate? How can they bless those who mistreat them? How can they pray for the good of others who are hostile to them? These things are easier said than done. And it must be the same on our time today. Isn't it easier to revile back to someone who does wrong things to you? Isn't it easier to do bad things to an office mate who did bad things to you? Isn't it easier to say bad words to your family members or neighbors who have said bad, bad words to you? It is hard to pray for the employees or our boss who are mistreating us. It is hard to return good out of the bad things we are experiencing from them. But Christ is sure about his command. And to be sure, he even gave his disciples specific examples. And I revise it a little bit so that it can fit our context today. When someone insults you, hits you in the cheeks, 
in, the, in your cheek. Offer him your other cheek and be willing to be insulted again for the sake of following Christ. When someone takes away or demands your special belonging, in the disciples' case, it's their coat. Don't hold them back. Be willing to give even your basic necessity, your inner shirt for the sake of Christ. Do not give to those who are only able to return back the things that you gave them. Give it to them like it was given to, to someone who still thinks to you. Even if there's no intention of returning back, give. Don't ask it back for the sake of following Christ. Why are they to do these things? Jesus said, as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. For sure, Jesus did not quote Confucius in this passage or in this quotation. He must be referring to God's word, how it is applied in the disciples' life. Leviticus 19.18 says that, love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus goes further in bringing out the intention of Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself doesn't end only with yourself. It even extends to those who aren't capable of loving you back. And to make this clear to his disciple, Jesus asks another series of questions. And this time, this question lead them to check their motivation. What are their motives of doing things? Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. In other words, sinners are motivated by the love that they will receive. But God's people are different. They are not motivated by what they will receive, but simply because they love God who commanded them to do these things. Another question that is simpler is the next one. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. In other words, sinners are motivated of doing good things because of the reward, because of the credit. Good deeds equals good things in return. But the disciples of Jesus should be different. They are to do good things to others because they love Jesus. And lastly, Jesus asked them, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, lend to those whom you expect to receive. In other words, true disciples, do good things and expect nothing in return. Jesus said, love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. True disciples expect nothing in return of the good things that they are doing, for they have already received something greater than this. They receive Jesus Christ. And so in the beginning, when you are reading this passage, 
you might be one of those who were thinking, these commands are really extreme. If you think that these commands are radical commands, and you find these commands hard to do, Jesus is asking, check your motivation. Why are you a Christian? Isn't it because you were shown God's grace? Isn't it because you were loved by God? Look at this command in another perspective, and for sure, your view of loving your enemies will change. Let's ask this on the other way around. What if God's motivation is to show love only to those who are capable of loving him back? Are we not in a terrible situation because of that? For none of us here are capable of loving God back. No human being has ever lived was able to love God perfectly except his son, Jesus Christ. But God proves his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For while we were still his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. God has loved you when you are still unlovable. God has done good things to you even though you don't deserve it. We deserve to be condemned because of our sins. And so if you are truly a Christian, God has blessed you with immeasurable riches in Christ by being united in him. God has given you his spirit to enable you of doing good things, to love God and to love others. And so if you are a disciple of Christ, when you find it difficult in loving your enemies, I encourage you to check your motives of doing things. Remember the gospel in which you were saved. When you feel like you're about to get revenge, when you, feel, when you don't feel like praying for your boss or your employer or your office mate, when you feel like your family and friends deserve bad more than good, when you feel that your brother or sister in the Lord is more wrong than you are, when you don't feel like loving others, look to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has loved you when you are very much unlovable, that God loved you when you are still his enemy, that you were reconciled back to God through the death of his son. This must be the motivation of doing good things for all the Christians, all the disciples of Christ. Disciple acts with the motivation that comes from the gospel. Obeying God's command is not out of compulsion. Obeying Jesus should not be a checklist for Christians to do. Good works are not done by Christians to earn righteousness, to be accepted by God. God accepts nothing from you but only to receive his gift of righteousness, his gift of love, his gift of forgiveness in Christ Jesus by faith. This is the reason why Jesus is asking you 
to expect nothing in return because you have received too much. You have received Christ. In Him is God's redemption, God's love, God's forgiveness. In Him are all the riches of God's promises. He is the greatest treasure. He is your satisfaction. You've received Jesus, your greatest reward. He is enough. Expect nothing in return. Now, this text doesn't mean that you are not allowed to go to court or seek justice if it involves criminal or legal matter. You might ask me, what if my child was abused sexually? Or you might ask me, what if my employer is withholding my salary? What if someone damages your property out of grudge? These are enough and right reasons for you to settle matter of disputes. You are to seek justice for these things through the government that God has put in place in maintaining peace and order. But on the other hand, I want you to exercise biblical wisdom. I want you to do it with gospel motivation. And on the other hand, I want you to be careful with this. What if this happened, this dispute happened within the family of God? This calls for all the disciples to obey God's command also, to exercise biblical wisdom. The Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 6, settle disputes between members of God's household and not to let outsiders to solve your problem. But again, all in these cases, Christ compels believers to act towards others with the gospel in their view. So Christians, Jesus said, but love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. If you do these things, then it shows that you are truly disciples of God's kingdom. But do these things with the motivation that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil, but more than that, he has been gracious towards you. God's grace is displayed in the lives of Christians when they do good things to others. But another aspect about God is reflected also in Christian life, and that is mercy. And to this, we will turn to our next main point. Disciples are merciful because they've been shown God's mercy. Now read with me from Luke 6, 36 to 38. Be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Disciples are merciful because they've been shown God's mercy. While the first section speaks about God's grace, the emphasis of this section is God's mercy. Jesus said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And so if I'm Peter or John or James listening to Jesus during the Sermon of the Plain, 
I think I will probably remember God's word in the Old Testament that is somehow resembling this. And it is, be holy, for your God is holy. And this time, Jesus is saying, be merciful, because your God is merciful. And so the possible next question, maybe, that will run on Peter's mind will be like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, how can we be like the Father? It's impossible. Oh, Lord Jesus, how can we be merciful just like the Father who is merciful? And so Jesus answered them, look at the following commands. Hear me. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. In other words, Jesus is saying that the true disciples of him reflects God's mercy through their obedience of these commands. But again, it's easier to judge others when we feel we are right, isn't it? How easy it is to condemn others when we believe they are wrong. How is forgiveness the right thing to do if the other person deserves punishment? And why would we give if the others, other person still owe us so much? To help us understand the meaning of this passage, let me bring out another parable that Jesus used to answer Peter's question. Peter was asking Jesus on some parallel account related to the Sermon on the Plain. Peter asked Jesus, How many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And Jesus replied him with a parable. He said, There was a servant who owed his master a huge amount of money, but his master forgave him of his debt when he begged and asked for mercy. But when this servant saw another servant who owed him another small amount of money, he wasn't willing to forgive him. Instead, he threw him into prison. And so when it was reported back to the master, he was summoned again. And in anger of the master, the master handed him over to the jailers for punishment until he can pay back everything that was owed. If I will be Peter and I hear this parable, it will make me reflect of myself. I think I'm an ungrateful servant if I will not be forgiving others. And this is what I were, where I would like us to reflect today. Christians, we are like that servant who begged God's mercy to forgive us from the huge amount of our sin. Aren't we? Christians, when it's easier to judge your friend because you feel you are more right, remember that at one time you were so wrong and you were forgiven by God. It's because of his mercy. When you feel you are right to condemn others because they deserve punishment, remember that God spared you from his just punishment through the blood of Jesus he was the one punished for you. His blood was poured out for our transgressions. Is it hard to forgive your family members 
your friend or your boss or your co-worker who have caused you pain and hurt that was inflicted to you? Remember that our deserved punishment was inflicted to God's Son, Jesus Christ, when He bore the penalty of our sin. How painful it must be to the Father when He turns away His face to Jesus, who was loving, who was obedient, who was without sin, but He was punished because of our sins. When you think that you are running out of patience for the one you are discipling, when you are the only one who seems to understand inside the church, when you think you are just wasting your valuable time, energy, and money and effort on helping your brother or sister in his walk with the Lord, remember that God has given you mercy, that God has given you his time and eternity, that he was patient to you until you come to repentance and he is still patient to you today while you are being sanctified. That he became poor so that you can become rich. That he gave you understanding and faith when you were blind and dull in your understanding. Remember God's mercy. And again, before we proceed to our next point, Let's correct some misunderstanding about this statement. Oftenly, do not judge and you will not be judged are misused by us. Does this mean that we are not to judge others? What about if we can see a clear pattern of sin in our brother in the Lord and he is unrepentant? What are we to do in those kind of situations? Does this mean that we cannot judge others at all? But if we judge others with the aim to correct him, to restore him, and we are seeking his eternal good, we are to judge within the household of God. The Bible teaches that disciples are, what, are to watch one another and to be accountable to each other. The Apostle Paul also warns his disciple by writing, do not judge anything prematurely. In other words, Christians judge at times, but with careful meditation under the authority of God's word and with the aim of restoration of that brother who claims to be a believer but is not repentant of his sin. And also with the remembrance that God will judge everyone accordingly at the coming of his son. So judge with the aim of restoration of that brother. Christians, this is what Jesus meant when he said, don't judge. Don't judge because you were not judged by Jesus. Don't condemn because you were not condemned by Jesus. Forgive others because you were forgiven by Jesus. Give because God has given you his son in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. His grace was poured into your lap when you received the very word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were given grace and mercy even today. 
as you are hearing the proclamation of God's word. Christians, a gospel-motivated response is to be merciful towards others who cannot pay us back. And for those who are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you in the grace and mercy of God. Believe in this gospel. Jesus was judged so that you will not be judged. Jesus was condemned so that you will not be condemned. He died on the cross so that you will be forgiven. And he was raised back to, love, uh, to life so that God's abounding grace may be given and overflow to you. Repent from your sins. Be baptized in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel that Christians proclaim. Now let's proceed to the third main point of this passage, of our passage today. Disciples lead others to the gospel that saved them. Read with me from Luke 6, 39 to 42. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eyes, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite! First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. Disciples lead others to the gospel that saves. Now, parables are always meant by Jesus to teach important lessons. So Jesus asks his disciples, can the blind guide the blind? And we know the answer. The answer is no. Both of them will fall into the pit to their perish. Why is Jesus asking this question? Is it it is so that the disciples would reflect if they were not blind or they are blind in guiding others. In contrast to that, the Pharisees are often known to be guiding others to the path of righteousness in their time. But Jesus knew the heart of everyone. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 23 because they prioritize service more than what is more important? Jesus said, Woo to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neg neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting others. Blind guides, you strain out a knot, but gulp down a camel. In other words, Jesus is telling, justice, mercy, and faithfulness are more important matters to be taught to others. But these things cannot be taught with human words. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness are character. They are God characters exhibited by the example of godly people. The problem with the Pharisees is that they are blind to who God is. They define the law, but they exclude its objective, which point others to God's mercy and grace. 
They were trying to remove the splinters in the eyes of others, but not realizing they have a lag of wood in their eyes. And so Jesus said, Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out in your eye, out from your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eyes. So Christians, justice, mercy, and grace are more important matters of the gospel that we proclaim. We exhibit this to all when we guide one another, when we point each other to Christ Jesus. We proclaim this when we, whenever we show our unity and love together, when we gather together, when we take the Lord's Supper together as one body of Christ Jesus. Christian, you are someone who has splinter in the eyes, but it has been removed by Jesus so that you are able to see God's beauty, that he is righteous, that he is gracious, merciful, and that are all reflected in the good news of the cross. And with this good news, we are to lead others to the gospel that saves. Jesus is the only one who can remove splinters in the eyes of the sinner so that they can see the beauty of God, that he is gracious, merciful, and loving. Disciples lead others to the gospel that saved them. To the disciples who are listening today, Jesus commands these things. Love your enemies, for you were loved in Christ. Be merciful to others, for you have been shown mercy. Remember that Christ gave you a sight to see God's beauty in his justice, mercy, and grace, and you are to show this and exhibit this to others so that they can be led to the gospel of God's salvation. This is how the disciple acts with, with gospel motivation from the Bible. This is how the disciples of Jesus must act today. Disciple acts with gospel motivation. Let us all pray.